This is Market Pathways, your premium guide to global medical device regulation, reimbursement, and policy. Today, we're talking with Jeffrey Shuren from the Center for Devices and Radiological Health at the FDA about FDA-sponsored interactions. Hello, and welcome to the Market Pathways podcast. I'm David Fillmore editor of Market Pathways, and today I'm joined by someone who truly needs no introduction in the medtech community, it's Dr. Jeff Shuren, who is, of course, the longtime respected director of CDRH, the Center for Devices and Radiological Health at FDA. Welcome, Jeff. Oh, thank you, David. Pleasure to have a chance to talk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's obviously many different things we could theoretically talk about with what's happening at CDRH, because I know a lot is happening at CDRH. Um, but I wanted to put a particular frame around our conversation that I think has important relevance to anyone in the medtech sector listening, and that is the evolving potential opportunities for companies to interact, to engage, to collaborate with CDRH during the path to development and during the review of devices. Um, so, you know, there's been an increasing number of ways to potentially leverage FDA insight at various times. And I think the center over the past, you know, very, very crazy year or so has had to think on the fly about this a bit during the pandemic. And, you know, I know you're thinking forward and future about some of these issues. So I really, you know, wanted to kind of ch- dive in particularly on that. Um, so I wonder if maybe we could start with, you know, just kind of a broader view when it comes to FDA sponsor interactions over your tenure, which has been, you know, a little bit over 10 years, how have they evolved? How has the ability to, you know, to, to the communication and interaction changed over your time? And how has that, you know, impacted, would you say, FDA's ability to regulate as a regulator, industry's ability to innovate? How have things um, evolved over your, over your time there? Good FDA sponsor interactions are essential for a company to successfully bring an innovative device to market and for FDA to assure timely patient access to innovative, high quality, safe and effective technologies. You know, you could say full stop right there. Often the more interactions starting earlier in the total product life cycle, the better. However, to have successful interactions, you need not only the opportunities and a sufficient number of experts in the program with the time for such interactions, you also need a culture of collaboration and establish a trusted working relationship, which requires both parties to be engaged, constructive, proactive, and transparent. Since I first started at CDRH over 11 years ago, we at CDRH have continued to make significant strides on all of these components, and not just limited to sponsors, but to our other stakeholders, particularly patients and healthcare professionals. Besides changing our programs, processes, and policies to build in more opportunities to interact both during and before pre-market review, and MADUFA's supporting increased interactions primarily during pre-market review, we took steps to enhance our culture and build relationships across the device ecosystem. For example, in 2014, we launched a strategic priority on providing excellent customer service deepen that with patients through our partner with patient strategic priority, and more recently expanded and began changing the paradigm through our strategic priority of collaborative communities. We also look for other opportunities to build cross relationships and trust in situations where parties could get together on issues of common interest, such as in the pre-competitive space, 
anticipating they would transfer to other contexts. That was one of the drivers behind the establishment of the Medical Device Innovation Consortium. While its mission is to advance medical device regulatory science, it was born in part from a desire to build better relationships and trust across the device ecosystem, starting with FDA and industry. So when talking about, obviously, there's these broader um, approaches to to, to you know, getting getting people together, getting people collaborating, and then there's the actual you know sponsors. And you, one thing you mentioned was you know there's this obviously Medufa focus on during the review process, and there's things like interactive review that I know I've developed over time um, that have maybe evolved you know different ways, but used much more frequently now and in more informal interactions. And then there's things that maybe outside of that user fee element, but really I think I've become more and more of an emphasis in terms of well before this, you know, before submissions or even well before the submissions when you're talking about pre-sub meetings or breakthrough device program, which is becoming very popular. How do you look at those, you know, there's, when you're putting into those buckets of, you know, interacting during a review, what's needed and the types of things that have been done and interacting the types of programs that have been developed for sponsors to engage with reviewers and others prior to um, submission. How, how, how do you compare those two uh, experiences and the importance of those two and how, the types of changes you've made over the years in those areas? Let's use Medufa as an example of how our approach has transformed. So while the Medufa program has led to more transparent, predictable, and efficient processes and measurable improvements in patient access to innovative, safe, and effective devices, Medufa has been primarily focused on the pre-market review portion of the total product life cycle, as you noted. Its focus on interactive review is about informally resolving issues that can be dealt with quickly regarding a pre-market submission under review. However, many of the challenges facing device makers occurred during the development and evaluation phase prior to pre-market review, the true valley of death. In fact, many of the holdups and adverse decisions made during pre-market review stem from not tackling the big questions and challenges effectively and quickly earlier during development and evaluation. Done right, a sponsor shouldn't need to have a lot of interaction during pre-market review, let alone encounter long holds while companies address major deficiency and additional information letters because there would be few to no deficiencies. There's also our challenges encountered after FDA authorization, such as coding, coverage, reimbursement, and adoption by healthcare providers. If given the right support during the development and evaluation phase by de-risking that phase of the total product life cycle in particular, through real-time interactions with FDA experts, focused on rapid problem solving, and strategic advice, along with key stakeholder perspectives, if desired, many device makers could be better positioned to successfully bring devices to market, succeed with payers, providers, and patients, and do so in a more timely, efficient, and predictable manner. During the pandemic, we saw the transformative impact of near and real-time interactions between developers and CDRH experts for getting devices developed, evaluated, and authorized quickly. However, that level of engagement by the FDA 
is not feasible on an ongoing basis, as we don't have the capacity to do so, let alone to even engage in greater interactions with many sponsors who participate in our Breakthrough Devices program. Pre-submission meeting requests are popular. The number of requests we receive grows every year, but it can be a three-month process focused on addressing limited questions. And if there are more questions, you have to request another pre-sub and the cycle starts again. We would like to provide an even greater level of pre-market engagement than during the pandemic. And this is our TPLC advisory program or TAP. Yeah, so let's well let's put a pin in TAP for a second because I really want to dig into, you know, some, a little bit more of the proposal there. Um, I just, I'm curious to what, maybe first of all, can we just, you know, I mean, obviously, like you say, this real time um, engagement during uh, the COVID experience. What could you, I mean, it's not every time I talk to a, a, someone from a company about uh, emergency use authorization experience they've had, you know, inevitably you'll hear, you know, when they get the email, you know, at, insert crazy out of business hour time, like midnight on a Sunday from FDA reviewer, you know, so it really shows that, you know, there's a lot of outside the box things happening, including with how you're engaging with, with companies. Could you give me a little more fine tune of like what, what it's been like in terms of this engagement back and forth? Um, it's, so these things that you're drawing on from the pandemic, you know, that, that, that you want to offer more broadly, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit more about what that's been like and how that's actually been uh, rolled out in terms of the pandemic challenged us and it continues to challenge us it has provided us with silver linings um, such as uh, lessons learned that could and should be applied not only for the next emergency but during peacetime as well that includes opportunities where so many of us work together more closely collaboratively and quickly than ever before and this includes product developers who we have engaged interactively and iteratively to best respond to the pandemic. I also believe that we will continue to have more virtual interactions rather than face-to-face -face meetings, ranging from public meetings to advisory committee meetings, to meetings with industry and other stakeholders to save everyone more time and resources. And I see us increasingly using virtual platforms and tools to enhance our external outreach and communications. I also think we'll see more work being performed in a virtual shared environment, both externally, such as remote regulatory assessments, remote or hybrid inspections, pre-market review, as well as internally at the FDA as more people will be teleworking. And some of the systems we're building under our digital transformation initiative such as our new customer collaboration portal, will help us and our stakeholders work together in a virtual space. And I think will ultimately improve the experience and save time and resources. My hope is that we implement and build on these lessons learned so that we all, in particular patients and consumers, are better for it. Okay, so you, getting back, you did, you did mention the, the TPLC advisory program tap, which is something that you have been going around a little bit and discussing publicly while I, I believe also, you know, brought it to the negotiating table at the Medufa 5, you know, the ongoing Medufa 5 talks for user fee reauthorization that are happening now. Um, and this is obviously really building on a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, COVID, your experience with COVID and uh, some of the various programs you've tried, but maybe don't have the resources to do fully like, you know, 
pre-submissions breakthrough. Um, tell me, tell me about, tell me more about this, this TAP proposal and what, what's involved. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, we think TAP is the way to go and COVID just hammered that home. TAP seeks to de-risk the regulatory pathway by providing an even greater level of pre-market engagement than during COVID with more touch points, real-time interactions, and a more proactive, strategic, and problem-solving approach. So it includes building out our review capacity to allow for these kinds of real-time interactions and the time for experts to stay on top of the leading edge of science. And it adds a new member to the team that we call a TAP advisor, who will provide a concierge style of strategic support, address basic questions, and assure that the right experts and support are available quickly when you need it. TAP would offer participating companies a menu of services that they can pick and choose from on a voluntary basis to best meet their needs, which includes the opportunity for the participation of other key stakeholders, I'd say, like patients and providers. Companies not participating in TAP also benefit through the greater experienced review capacity and assuring that our experts quickly implement and consistently apply new policies and approaches such as use of real world evidence. So if implemented, we believe it will be the biggest game changer we've seen since the first Medufa was enacted almost 20 years ago. Thanks for listening so far. This interview will continue after this short message. Market Pathways is the number one publication that covers the people, challenges, and opportunities impacting the global medical device, regulatory, reimbursement, and policy spheres. MyStrategist.com is your digital home to access all of our coverage and read the latest issue of Market Pathways. So you're talking about, you know, for the, for the devices that will participate, and I know, I think, you know, um, so what will this be open in your mind, obviously, this is a non-implemented thing yet, but to what breadth of products, devices, would this be open to? Where where would this provide the biggest bang for their buck? How, how broad of a program would this be compared to the types of things you offer now? You know, you do have things like Breakthrough. You have things like your payer and your programs and your parallel review. So you have some little thing. How, how much of a bigger breadth is this? Well, you can build it to the level of interest. Um, for starters, looking at breakthrough devices and devices under the STEP program. Today, what we offer for breakthrough is nothing like we have done under COVID, let alone what we would do under TAP. Uh, there are plenty of cases with breakthrough technologies where they've received their designation, but we're very limited in our ability to offer additional touch points as we would otherwise like to do since the number of technologies receiving a breakthrough device designation it continues to explode but our review capacity does not in fact we very recently just topped the 500th medical device designated as breakthrough under the program and every year we have seen the number of designations uh, increase. We were on par in 2021 to beat out 2020, which beat out 2019, and and you go on back. Um, so TAP uh, truly changes it, and breakthrough and step would be reasonable places to uh, start, and it could be built out. But as I mentioned, by expanding that review capacity, 
um, to not only have the capability on touch points, but staying on top of the science, because a lot of our folks don't have the time to do so right now, it's not been baked in, and the capacity to do, if you will, on the job learning on the new approaches we put in place, because you're seeing others do it, rather than, if you will, learning on your own and having to repeat uh, the long learning curve, that benefits anyone with a technology bringing it in the door. So I think tech early on will have a ripple effects to other products, regardless of how we initially put the bucket of products. But what's essential is that if we're doing this, um, we proceed in a rational manner that we've got to make it at least of a sufficient size that we can learn from it uh, to make mid-course corrections um, and that it provides sufficient value that um, uh, the industry is seeing the return on investment. Ultimately, from an FDA standpoint, we're excited because we think this will bring important, high quality, safe and effective medical devices to patients and consumers in a much more timely and much more expanded fashion. So essentially, this is a this is a big push for a high, you know, a big sort of hiring push, but putting those resources in particular places that would involve this earlier interaction that would involve these concierge approaches. It's 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 I mean, it's it's just it's just a way of putting a frame around the, the kind of resources you need for the future and where you think those will be. Better. It's a different dynamic too. Uh, the interactions today when they're informal, they're on a small scale, if you will, uh, a lot of times the smaller issues or just um, kind of at, at one point in time on a very specific issue. It is not strategic about, if you will, identifying and addressing the pitfalls uh, for that product to get its way to market and beyond. So TAP is not just a, a capacity issue, it's actually a fundamental change in approach. And it's those together that truly de-risk uh, for companies bringing their product to the marketplace. So as you say, fundamental shift, and you, you, and you use words like, you know, a, a role, uh, a, a staffer that would play a concierge role in sense of, 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 you know, putting people in the right direction of, of the resources they may need. So, I mean, what this makes me hear is, you know, FDA is, you know, clearly, you know, expanding the number of hats it wears in some sense when you're kind of convening payers and providers. And I know you've done that to some extent, but that, that's been happening over some time and you've working with companies earlier and earlier stages. I think a lot, some of these activities definitely, you know, go beyond that traditional regulator role, you know, get the submission, monitor safety. Is there any trepidations or is there any risk of the device center biting off more than it can chew or going too far beyond its core mandate? I feel like there's a little bit of that. And if you see what's happening in the Medufa you know, five talks, there's a little bit of that pushback maybe from industry on that point. So is that something that is a valid, you know, is there any concerns there about getting too big, too much um, from an FDA standpoint? Well, if industry always pushes back when we put things on the table, so if they push back, I would, I would know that I'm headed in the wrong direction. You know, FDA's mission is to protect and promote public health. As a regulator, we seek to improve the health and the quality of life of patients and consumers. To do so, they need access to safe and effective medical devices that address their needs. 
This is also consistent with CRH's vision, which as you know, begins with patients in the US have access to high quality, safe and effective medical devices of public health importance, first in the world. However, FDA's approval of clearance provides market access, but doesn't guarantee patient access. So for patients to have real access to a technology, other stakeholders, including payers and providers, must make certain decisions such as beneficiary coverage, purchasing, utilization, and payment determination. That's why a decade ago, we launched a strategic priority on streamlining the pathway from FDA authorization to payer coverage and reimbursement. Out of that initiative, we established our early payer feedback program, which allows and supports direct communication between medical device developers and payers on a voluntary basis so that developers can learn firsthand what types and amount of data, evidence, payers require to provide coverage and reimbursement for medical devices, and then factor that into their evidence generation strategy to support marking authorization and reimbursement. However, we have never had a dedicated team who can work full-time with payers on an ongoing, real-time basis, including on science of patient input and real-world evidence-related projects, building relationships as we've done with other stakeholder communities, and building confidence, understanding, and trust in the reviews we conduct and the evidence we rely on. Now, we've heard interest in such engagements from some payers, but have never had the resources to do it. And this and all the things that I have been talking about, um, while they can be transformative, they, can't, they don't just simply come out of nowhere. As you kind of asked in the beginning about things we have done in the program, I think you can see we have been building to this moment, if you will, for now basically a decade. And I think we've arrived at the point where it's time to take the program to the next level and inject device innovation and safety in the US with a shot in the arm like it's never seen before. Well, that's a that's a big goal. And I think it, it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out um, in the next few years. Um, and as we, of course, pull out of this very challenging time we've had um, over the past, you know, year plus with this pandemic that I know, you know, um, the FDA is still dealing with. So why don't we, you know, and just getting back to more of a the sort of status quo short term where things stand now. I mean, we're talking about this, the theme of this discussion is FDA sponsor interaction. So, you know, are things how close are we are as FDA, sorry, CDRH getting back, quote, back to some sort of normal, you know, but not, not getting up to the TAP TPLC stage yet, uh, advisory program yet, but just been sort of a back to normal when it comes to a, pre, a pre-pandemic, when it comes to being able to engage with um, sponsors on things like, you know, on things like pre-subs, on things like the breakthrough program, on just other types of, you know, not when we're talking about non-COVID products and, you know, just kind of generally, where are, where, from a personal level, where, where do things stand? We are in a better position now than earlier in the pandemic. Um, and since January 2020, we've received over 7,000 emergency use authorization and pre-emergency use authorization requests. And that's resulted in our authorizing through an EUA or traditional review pathway, over 1,400 devices for COVID. 
And that combined with all the other extensive engagement we provided for developers and others, plus our work to prevent and address device shortages, put an extreme strain on our resources. And with COVID being our number one priority and a program not resourced to handle the tsunami that hit us, many pre-submission meetings and pre-market submission reviews for non-COVID devices were delayed. Due to continued process and policy changes, application of triage and prioritization procedures, and hiring you know, some temporary staff and contractors with one-time pandemic funding, we have turned the corner. And unquestionably, our biggest review challenges have been in the IVD product space due to the enormous volume of e-waste submissions. Unless IVD pre-submission meeting requests are related to COVID-19, companion diagnostics, a breakthrough device um, uh, designation request, or they have a significant public health impact, we're gonna continue to climb them for the remainder of 2021, at least for the present time. However, all non-COVID IVD submissions are moving forward, although they may you know, take longer than typical for reviews, uh, and there'll be some delays in initiation of review, at least for the present time. On the other hand, divisions reviewing files for personal protective equipment, ventilators, and general hospital equipment um, also experienced significant increases in workload, although they've been able to continue to meet the DUFA timelines for most marketing authorizations. And these divisions, while they're experiencing longer review timelines for pre-submission meeting requests, are starting to get back to normal. In fact, we anticipate pre-submission in these divisions to be completed within 120 days now, rather than the usual 70 days. Um, but our goal is to be back to the 70 days by the end of this year. And pre-market submission reviews and pre-submissions in other product areas are generally continuing under typical timelines, although a small number of submissions may experience delays on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, I mean, there's still a big unknown out there in terms of how many of the devices with an EUA are gonna come back in the door for a full marketing authorization, but we're making plans for how to best deal with that. And you know, in spite of the pandemic, we also continue to move forward in um, other important areas. Um, we launched our a Digital Health Center of Excellence last fall, again, despite the pandemic. Um, and for all the work on COVID, we continue to see and authorize innovative technologies for non-COVID indications. In fact, in 2020, we had a record highest year of authorizing novel technologies. It was 132. And you know, since around 2015, we've been at historic highs. Uh, last year being the highest, and over 90 of those technologies were for non-COVID indications. So tons of work the center has done. Um, obviously, it's had some impact on non-COVID submissions, but we really have turned the corner. Many things are back on track. More uh, things are gonna come if you back online, if you will, in the coming months and sort of the remainder for IVDs will be next year. For you know my colleagues at CDRH, it's been an incredibly hard time, uh, but at the same time we recognize it's been hard for everybody, not just at FDA, it's across the country and you know, it's really across uh, the globe. I'm just so proud of, 
um, really my CDRH family for what they have done during this pandemic. It, um, in my own eyes, uh, and obviously I'm biased, uh, it's been heroic, it's been inspiring, um, and I, I hope one day they'll get the credit they truly deserve, uh, and certainly uh, the rest they very well deserve. Yes, with those uh, uh, midnight, midnight emails companies have been telling them about, I can, I can understand that. Um, well, I think that's probably a great place for us to, 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 to conclude on. Um, and, you know, I appreciate you, you kind of walking me through where you're at and where you're going when it comes to the uh, interactions and engagement with CDRH and, and what companies can do and what they may be able to do in the future. So thanks, Jeff. I, I really appreciate the time and I hope to talk to you soon. Well, thank you, David. I hope so, too. Take care. Become a part of our global medtech community on mystrategist.com.